Hey everybody, welcome to Turn It Up, an intermittent podcast from Turning, your learning engagement leader, celebrating the potential and the people behind effective learning engagement solutions. Turning is committed to engaged and equitable learning for everyone, everywhere. So if you're an educator, student, trainer, a worker, or just an overall believer in equitable and engaged learning, you have come to the right place. Uh, And hey, fair warning, this one might go a little long today uh, because today's guest is Mr. Dixon Musselwhite, a real leader in the education slash publishing slash technology. (laughs) There's many slashes to this uh, this guy's uh, pedigree here, uh, who has had a very successful, who had a very successful uh, run in the first couple of chapters of his career at places like Cengage and Pearson, driving uh, digital product innovation, migration, um, the whole coexistence between analog and, and digital. And then he took all of that collective experience and wisdom and for the last couple of years has been CEO. He founded a startup called Social Explorer, a very cool small business that deals with big data, uh, more specifically developing very cool interactive visualization and uh, reporting tools that help uh, both the technical and the non-technical uh, alike figure out what to do with big data, which is one of the one of the ironic burdens of big data. Uh, and a great example of this is their award-winning uh, product called SocialExplorer.com, uh, which you should check out. Uh, I mean, maybe not right now, but eventually, go check that out. Uh, it's a demographic data visualization um, and research website uh, that engages users through, again, really, really cool dynamic mapping and reporting. Uh, it's just a great example of what we celebrate here on Turn It Up, leveraging technology to engage learners, uh, however they want to learn. Um, and uh, if this uh, all sounds a little bit familiar, it's because uh, you've probably read about Social Explorer. It is frequently written up uh, in the New York Times, and they work uh, with other not so obscure clients like the U.S. Census Bureau, uh, Pearson Publishing, and um, close to my mother-in-law's heart, uh, the Women's Foundation of Minnesota, of which my mother-in-law was the president back in the day. So that was for Mrs. Wayman right there. So so please uh, help me welcome someone who who, uh, could have turned even this liberal arts major, uh, this guy, into a numbers guy. Uh, Let's get ready to turn up here with Mr. Dixon Musselwhite. Hey, Dixon. Hey Jeff, how are you? Glad to glad to talk to another liberal arts major. <laughs> there we go. We're we're hiding out there. Yeah, I, I was uh, thinking maybe I could take you to a Thanksgiving dinner and you could say nice things about me to my family because that, that was really impressive. <laughs> well, um, I would be I would be happy to. And and you know we uh, we we um we we talk a lot in this podcast uh, about you know how instructors or trainers. Um, or leaders are leveraging technology to engage, you know, their learners and workers uh, on a variety of subjects, uh, some tougher than others. But, you know, we haven't had anybody uh, like you who has been able to take uh, from a, from really a business development standpoint uh, to take on such a, a big issue with big data and really productize it. Uh, it really make it so visual and accessible and engaging. And so I, I'd love to just kind of start there. I mean, obviously your background mm-hmm. in education and publishing, but but where did the idea for Social Explorer come from? So um, <clears throat> the the platform actually predates 
me. Social Explorer was founded by um, Andy Beveridge, who is one of the leading demographers in, in the country. Uh, he used to run the sociology department out of Queens. And he was getting frustrated with some of the tools available uh, for disseminating census data, right? And he decided there's got to be a better way. So he actually called over to the IT department at Queens College and uh, asked him if they had any good students, you know, anybody who could mm-hmm. actually program. And uh, they recommended a kid who had, who had written a uh, um, sort of rate my professor kind of application at Queens before rate my professor came along. And the two of them built this platform for disseminating all the census data and built out, uh, uh, you know, originally it was in flash and, uh, they, they built the backend database or Ahmed, uh, Lisevich, who is Andy's co-founder built the backend database, um, uh, to run, you know, massive, massive data sets. And, and my role at Pearson, I was, uh, the publisher of sociology when I met these guys and um, I was at a conference and there were just two guys sitting at a table with some really cool maps. And I got really excited because uh, it was 2009 and I knew the census was coming up and I knew there was an opportunity for us to upgrade our vast array of, uh, of maps and other visualizations with the data from their tool. Uh, when the new census came out. And so we signed a partnership and they were dropped into about uh, 50 textbooks at the time. We had a we had a digital product and then we had the textbook and the relationship was born <clears throat> and they stuck around through several product iterations at the company I was at at the time, which was Pearson Education. And uh, I went on to head up the social sciences and humanities at Pearson and we scaled the application across all the social sciences, uh, including as some people do, although as a uh, liberal arts major, you may resist this notion, including <laughs> history, uh, which uh, in some quarters is considered a social science. Uh, and um, uh, we ended up scaling it into to many other disciplines, you know, some of the behavioral sciences and, and it's just a great tool and it and yeah. it's served a lot of purposes for us at Pearson and trying to scale really cool, compelling, interactive content at scale, right? We had a very big portfolio, lots and lots of titles. Um, you know, in 2000, uh, in spring of 2020, um, I started working with Social Explorer and Andy and Ahmed uh, heading up their team. Uh, got a great team out of Sarajevo and and at that point, we uh, wanted to take the platform, which had been a great research tool, and I, th- I think was in about 300 uh, Research One institutes. And we developed a bunch of teaching learning applications or, or modules uh, and scaled those across uh, you know, most of the disciplines that we felt were relevant. Mm-hmm. And now when a library adopts us and the school takes us on, uh, the teachers have turnkey uh, teaching and learning assignments effectively. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's been uh, a real successful for us in terms of reaching students outside of the R1s, the Ivy Leagues, and, and you know, getting into uh, community colleges and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 
our twos and threes. You know, what we're excited about is just being able to make data available and compelling to uh, students and mm-hmm. making it easier for instructors to teach yeah. concepts and data literacy. Yeah. And so much of, so much of, you know, as I was snooping around on the, on the site and really appreciating it, there is such an aesthetic to your approach, you know, in terms of, and we've had guests on, on, on the, on Turn It Up talk about uh, more like video and how important video is for, for engaged learning. But, but really even the stuff that doesn't move on, on social explore is still so Mm -hmm. highly, really captivating. How much of that is, you know, art versus science, like, like, or is your team really looking at, you know, the visual component, you know, learners are visual in nature and how much of that is driving how you build the product? Yes. That's, uh, I mean, uh, that's a big part of what we're about. Uh, We have a great design team uh, and, you know, we, we have a lot of our our designers, I think, um, I think probably about 80% of our designers are former architects from the University of Sarajevo. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they have a really evolved aesthetic sense, but they also understand flow, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just how appealing the visualization is, but what the flow of the user is through the application, because that's a big part of, of making it compelling. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's something that we really pride ourselves on this uh, beautiful maps and beautiful visualizations. Mm-hmm. Where, where does, um, when you think of the, the, the reach and the potential really l- the kind of learning impact of something like social explore, you talked about getting into different sort of strata of, of, um, institutions, not just mm-hmm. hanging out at the, but, but is there also, you know, are, are there also opportunities to take the approach that you've taken with demographic data and get just getting into other aspects. I mean, your background at Pearson, I would imagine has given you a, a, a wide, like your, your horizon, what you see out there is mm-hmm. like, and your liberal arts background. It's like, you, you got, you got it all kind of in your, in your, in your quiver, if you will, where, where, where's the, where's the next sort of vector of growth for social explore? Yeah. So we're, it's an interesting, that's a great question. I mean, some of it's in education, I mean, a lot of it's in education. There is some outside of education, um, you know, in commercial endeavors uh, where, you know, people are trying to answer business-oriented questions, you know, questions about opportunity um, and about, you know, supply and demand. Um, In education, you know, definitely uh, more getting into more disciplines uh, across the curriculum. I mean, data, data visualization is... um, interpreting data you know that's that's a that's a real meaty teaching and learning challenge today right mm-hmm. I mean I, I think it's well known that um, you know a lot of students getting into higher ed actually don't know how to read charts mm-hmm. tables and graphs mm-hmm. and maps right they don't really fully comprehend the elements and and w- what the elements are telling them much less going beyond that into interpreting it for cause and effect and correlation, et cetera. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, in terms of uh, research, you know, we continue to add data that goes beyond uh, traditional so- social science data. Um, and uh, we also add data that, that's not only 
publicly available data, but it's proprietary data that either we've acquired through our own sort of sweat and uh, our own technology. We developed uh, in the companies in the last two years, we developed the capability to acquire data and structure mm-hmm. it and put it in the system, uh, you know, so that, um, you know, you could have supply of different kinds of industries. And that might be something that a student in a business program might, might uh, gain value from. Uh, but also we license data as well. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, in terms of, and then, you know, in, in the, in the federal and state governments, there's just no end of data, right. And, and it, <laughs> right. Doesn't, it doesn't, adhere, it doesn't adhere to standards. And so there's, yeah. there's a need to uh, process that. So um, we, uh, you know, really can add a lot of value by adding more data. Another place in terms of higher education that, um, we have value that we haven't fully tapped is in the administration of higher education. Uh, you know, our, one of our biggest clients is the CUNY system. And uh, mm. we do a lot of things for those guys. And, and we're used throughout the organization, both in the classroom, you know, obviously in the library or at home, in a proxy library. Uh, and then also uh, the administration at CUNY uses us to do research, right? And one of the things mm-hmm. we do is we actually map all their students uh, so they can do some analysis on their student population mm-hmm. uh, using using all our demographic data and, and the other things. I mean, one question that was often asked and answered during the pandemic, uh, say for institutions like public libraries, um, was, you know, and, and universities and high schools uh, were interested in this question as well is, you know, of my student population, you know, who has access uh, to technology and the internet, right? Which is a question that we can answer mm-hmm. through our mapping. So as the, the, you know, I always say that, that heading up a company that's building an application like this is a little bit like being a grizzly bear in a, in a salmon stream, right? The, <laughs> yeah. the opportunities for fishing are, are endless yeah. and, if you don't focus, you don't catch anything. So yeah, well, that, that's a, that's a great that's a great analogy, and, and that actually was kind of a question that I had. You know, we uh, we um, we t- we also talk, even though this I think this is a fairly positive leaning uh, sort of podcast where we talk about potential and opportunity. You know, we also address barriers. You know, that right. that instructors go through, or or, or you know, um, learners can be going through, and I, I wonder if if that is maybe a barrier um, just because there is so much opportunity. I mean, it's like, where do you aim? And, and, yeah, and, yeah. but, but beyond focus, are, are there other barriers that you run into where maybe it's even a barrier of like believability that you could actually take, you know, f- very dense, very sometimes unorganized data and actually make it, you know, um, digestible, like what, what, what kinds of barriers do you run into? Or is it primarily that of focus? Uh, I'd, I'd probably put focus at the top and it's, and, you know, obviously it's, it's only a barrier in, in the, to the extent that we allow it to be, you know, yeah. um, and I'm a, I'm a sucker for any good ideas as, as, people, <laughs> as the people that work with me would tell you. Um, and so I've, I've, I'm old enough to have learned to have the right people around me to tell me to stop. So yeah. um, that's, that helps us focus. Um, you know, I, I think um, 
one of the barriers is, is, you know, just our ability to reach people and communicate what we have to offer. Mm. Um, you know, I think we do a good job of sales and marketing and, and uh, we get in front of a lot of people, my, you know, experience it at Pearson. I think, you know, the team I have here, we develop, you know, some of them are from Pearson and, and we developed an approach to, you know, scaling uh, the messaging of, about uh, what we have to offer without, you know, insanely expensive resources. So we're, mm-hmm. we're pretty good at that, but still, you know, there's, there, there are many more folks to reach. I think another barrier during the pandemic, um, you know, we had a lot of folks, you know, we're, we're very affordable, but, you know, nonetheless, you know, it wasn't so much the budgets were tight as they were uh, sort of catatonic in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, folks were right. a little frozen because yeah. of um, uncertainty, right? And, you know, we've had declining enrollments, I think, even this year. And mm-hmm. I, I think we're still sort of in this pandemic, right? So mm-hmm. uh, we're starting to see, you know, we you know we had a very good year, added a bunch of new customers and really excited in the direction we, you know, I was talking about too, which is super exciting to us. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think, you know, uh, people, you know, librarians and, and institutions, sort of coming out of the fog of the pandemic and figuring out their strategy. I wouldn't call it a barrier, but it's been, you know, something we've had to work with. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Kind of a, kind of a thaw as we all get yeah, more comfortable believing. Going. Yeah, exactly. Funny. I, I, had a, I had lunch with a former colleague today and, and she was talking about how she felt like it was still the pandemic here in New York where, you know, uh, we're doing pretty well. Uh, particularly compared to how we were doing, uh, you know, yeah. the beginning of it. And, um, uh, yeah, she said a sense of like, oh, okay, we're starting to come out of this. And I think people, you know, have sort of muscle memory from last winter too. So mm-hmm. I'm excited about it. You know, uh, I think online learning is funny, right? Uh, you know, I was a big proponent of it at Pearson. We rolled out uh, when I was there a product called Revel, which basically was – a, we integrated all of our technology together into the text and sort of put, uh, privileged the mobile experience first, trying to get that to as many students as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, believe that, you know, technology has a massively democratizing potential. Obviously, I think we all know now that um, – it can have real adverse effects, you know, yeah, right. You know, social media has you know, got its challenges, et cetera. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think to a certain extent, you know, online learning, uh, uh, you know, good things happened during the pandemic. A lot of people got exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Obviously because of the amount of time people were spending online, there uh, some negatives emerged, but I, I, I'm really positive about, uh, you know, what we're doing and the opportunity there. And uh, I think, you know, our librarian partners see it and they're excited. They're super excited about not only sourcing, you know, research materials, but teaching and learning materials. And, mm-hmm. and I think, um, you know, this idea of uh, open educational content, uh, for us, there's a model that really works, which is that, you know, there is revenue for us. You know, we do uh, receive licensing fees from libraries. It's not, it's not crazy expensive, but on a per student basis, it's, it's, you know, my, 
minutely small compared mm-hmm. to uh, what students normally pay for their courseware. And it's kind of a way for smaller companies like ourselves to build really cool things, uh, make enough money to sustain themselves, and um, but also have those cool things be uh, almost, you know, effectively no cost to the student. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I will also say just back to what you're saying about some of the pitfalls that we're experiencing with you know the democratization of digital media and social media is you know your 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 currency and uh, which is what I think makes your platform so powerful. Your currency is facts, like you're making right. data. Yes. Like fun. You know, there's no, it's empirical. It's not, it's not like, you know, (laughs) persuasive or subjective. It's literally like, this is how many people live here. And actually I think the ability for that then to open up some eyes and minds to their communities, you know, can really affect some pretty significant social change, which again, it's all fact-based. It's not yeah, it's not, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, people love uh, to get in and play, you know. And, yeah, and, right. Uh, you know, when we first rolled, when I was at Pearson, we first rolled out Social Explorer, and, you know, as part of our uh, teaching and learning packages, you know, one of the things that always blew me away from uh, instructors who were who were using it was uh, how excited they were because their students were getting in there and playing around. Mm-hmm. And that's that, that has to do, again, with what you said about, you know, beautiful maps and, and visualizations, but also the data. Data is super interesting, man. It's like, you know, where, <laughs> you know, so many questions could be answered and, yep. and, and kids love to play around. In it. That's the good, yeah, that's the good, uh, that's the good kind of screen time. Right. Um, all right. Well, hey, we only have, uh, we only have a couple minutes left here. We could sure. talk all day, but uh, sure. to wrap up here, uh, we're at the closing segment of, uh, of the big show here, a little segment we like to call Turning the page because we're not above or beneath puns here. Um, so it's a regular part of the show where if we uh, haven't gotten to it already, we give each of our esteemed guests uh, the chance to kind of look into a crystal ball of sorts, kind of look ahead to uh, either see or wish or predict the future a little bit. So Dixon, uh, as, as you turn the page, and this isn't this isn't even necessarily specific to social explorer. This is just kind of in the whole sort right. of ecosystem of digital learning and engagement, and this whole cool kind of panoply of uh, of goodness out there. What like how is it different five years from now? How do you want it to be different, or, or what do you what do you how do you predict it to be different five years from now? Yeah, I, I think um, I think. I mean, I, I look at my daughter who's 16, I think in a way that is the prediction, right? And I watch how she learns. Yeah. And um, she, uh, and, these, and this is not original to me by any stretch, but I think what you'll see is students that learn collaboratively, um, students that have <clears throat> um, uh, a facility with technology that allows them to to use it rather than it use them i think mm-hmm. I, I see with my daughters like they're really good with it they know how to use it to uh really positive effect in their teaching and learning um you know i i, I think there are risks out there you know um like, like we're talking about you know too much screen time etc and i i look at my daughter and you know 
they're aware, they're more self-aware, I think, of those kinds of issues than, than the students I talked to in focus groups when I was at Pearson, mm-hmm. uh, you know, three, four years ago. Um, and then obviously I, the, the, the possibility of really compelling uh, experiences that can be created that promote education and put students in uh, um, live situations that get to core concepts and allow them to develop skills. I think I'm excited about how that all shakes out, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's chem modules that are really 3D and students are truly kind of playing around with them or, or yeah. if they're in a, if they're in a, you know, learning how to, you know, if they're a nursing student and actually working with the human body without actually working with the human body, mm-hmm. virtually working with the human body. So I'm excited about it. Um, I, you know, I think, uh, I think um, the benefit of the pandemic and this rush to having to use technology is everybody's thinking about it. And I, and I, I trust, mm-hmm. um, you know, the educational community, uh, it, you know, the people are committed, they're smart. At the end of the day, it's it's going to be a win. People, we all will have learned mm-hmm. how to use this stuff effectively, and uh, I think uh, people will come up with much better experiences at a yeah. faster rate than we otherwise might have. Well, I know I speak on behalf of a lot of people, thanking you for kind of leading the way and showing us how. Because uh, if you can do it with uh, census data. Uh, right. there's hope for all of us out there. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I, thanks, uh, thanks again, Dixon Musselwhite. Thank yes, you so yes. much for taking some time with us uh, today and, uh, we'll look for more great things ahead. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for listening. Visit us at turning.com to see how turning can turn up your learning engagement.